Uh, Okay, well, if you have your Bible, then please open up to uh, Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, uh, I think all the spares have been taken. uh, And so uh, you can share with somebody next to you. I'm sure someone will be able to happy to lend you uh, a Bible. Uh, We'll point them out and make an example of them if they don't, of course, in love. (laughs) Okay. Now, the Bible has a lot to say on the subject of encouragement. Uh, In fact, the word that is commonly translated encouragement, the Greek word uh, parakaleo, literally means to come alongside, Uh, It's used uh, at least 109 times in the New Testament in a variety of ways, uh, and it's sometimes translated in different ways. Sometimes it's translated encourage, sometimes to exhort, uh, to comfort, or to urge. But we find it about 109 times in the New Testament. Let me give you a few uh, examples that are relevant to our study today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. The Apostle Paul said, Therefore, comfort each other, there's the word, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. (coughs) Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But exhort one another, there's the word, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assemblings of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. There it is again. Exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, Now, in each of those verses, and we could point to many more, the emphasis is on the importance and the necessity of believers gathering together to intentionally encourage one another in the faith, and in life. Uh, And why does the Bible then have so much to say on this subject of encouragement? Well, the answer, I think, is because we all need to be encouraged. The truth of the matter is we all go through times of discouragement in life. Difficult times, sometimes resulting in severe discouragement, and for a great many reasons. It could be practical reasons, circumstances in life, emotional struggles, physical difficulties, uh, spiritual challenges. Uh, And it may surprise you to know, and it really shouldn't surprise you, uh, that pastors and church leaders and missionaries are not immune from discouragement either. In fact, those who are called to such ministries often suffer greater discouragement than most. One example uh, is a man who was well known to have struggled with depression throughout his ministry. He was one of the most famous preachers of all time. Uh, We refer to him as the Prince of Preachers. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, And in applying the truth of Scripture to his own experience, he once said this, Good men are promised tribulation in this world, and ministers may expect a larger share than others. 
that they may learn sympathy with the Lord's suffering people and so may be fitting shepherds of an ailing flock. Uh, And this reality that Spurgeon spoke of is a reality we see throughout the pages of Scripture. For example, Moses, in the book of Numbers chapter 11, uh, was greatly burdened with leading a, a very rebellious people. Uh, And in Numbers chapter 11, verse 11, he said this. Why have you afflicted to the Lord your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? He goes on to say in verse 14, I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. Wow. I mean, Moses was really struggling. Uh, Joshua, in Joshua chapter 7, following Israel's defeat at the city of Ai, said this. Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we would have been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. The words of Joshua. Then there's Elijah. Following the great victory at Mount Carmel, he fled Jezebel. And in 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 4, we're told uh, that he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And I should mention Jesus himself, because in Isaiah 53 and verse 3, Jesus is described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so we see throughout Bible history that even those who we regard as God's greatest servants, those great men of faith, even they went through times of great discouragement in the ministries that God had called them to. Uh, And here in the book of Acts chapter 18, we see that it was no different for the Apostle Paul. Uh, Because as Paul arrives in the city of Corinth, in Acts chapter 18 and verse 1, he was at a great low point in his ministry. Uh, In fact, uh, reflecting on how he felt when he arrived in Corinth, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3, he said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. That's how Paul reflected on his mindset when he arrived in the city of Corinth, as we read here in Acts chapter 18 and verse 1. By his own admission, he was weak, he was fearful, he was trembling. You think, well, how so? How did the Apostle Paul end up feeling so weak, so fearful? Well, consider what has happened thus far on his second missionary journey. You'll recall Paul uh, left his home church in Antioch, uh, Syrian Antioch, and he traveled through Asia Minor, strengthening the churches there. So far, so good. Uh, Then uh, he crossed the Aegean Sea, to the mainland of Greece, the Roman province of Macedonia, and came to the city of Philippi, where he healed a demon-possessed girl and thus sparked a riot in the city of Philippi. He was subsequently arrested, severely beaten, and put in prison. 
Uh, there was that miraculous earthquake, of course. The Philippian jailer got saved and Paul was released, uh, but he was forced to leave the city of Philippi. Uh, and so he went to the next city, the city of Thessalonica. Now he preached the gospel in Thessalonica and, and many people believed, uh, but many more were hostile to him uh, and they pulled together a mob of evil men to try and get Paul. And so Paul was again forced out of the city of Thessalonica and he came to the town of Berea. Uh, he preached the gospel in Berea uh, and many were saved in Berea, but he wasn't there long before the angry mob of evil men from Thessalonica chased him all the way to Berea and forced him out of Berea. Uh, and so he got on a boat and headed 150 miles so south to come to the city of Athens. And he went to Athens on his own, leaving his travel companions behind him. Uh, and in Athens, he contended for the faith uh, with the philosophers uh, of Athens. Uh, and he preached a powerful uh, sort of sermon, gave a powerful address concerning the, the true and the living God. Uh, but he was mocked quite widely by the people of Athens. Uh, there were a handful uh, who believed. Uh, but following his ministry of Athens, and according to Acts chapter 18, verse 1, uh, he left Athens and went to the city of Corinth, which is about a 53-mile walk uh, west. So Paul comes to Corinth. Now, Corinth was the capital city uh, of the Roman province of Achaia, there in southern Greece. It was a large city, it was a wealthy city, and it was an immoral city. Uh, it was unique in as much as it had two seaports, one to the east and one to the west. Uh, and so it became a major trade route. It was easier for ships uh, to go through Corinth, take their boat, roll it on rollers about four miles to the other sea uh, and carry on than it was to travel the 200 miles all the way around the peninsula. Uh, and so Corinth became uh, really the commercial capital uh, of Greece in those days. But more significant than the city were the people of the city. Because the people of Corinth had a great reputation. We know from history uh, and we know from scripture that the people of Corinth were known widely for two things. Two things that made the city of Corinth uh, an intimidating proposition for any preacher of the gospel, even the Apostle Paul. Firstly, the people of Corinth, they were a proud people. They were known for their pride. They were proud of their city. Uh, which was rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 46 BC. They were proud of their wealth, proud of their culture. Uh, they hosted uh, the, Ist uh, I can't even say it, Isthmian Games, sort of like a version of the Olympics, which was there every two years. Uh, they were proud of the fact that they were the political capital of the region, even over Athens. Uh, and that pride, like any pride in the human heart, would present a great challenge to the gospel because the gospel challenges and indeed undermines all human pride. For the gospel insists that we are all sinners. We are all sinners and have absolutely nothing in ourselves that we can do to buy or to achieve or to contribute to our salvation. And the human pride does not like that one bit. And so they were a proud people. But secondly, they were an immoral people. They were an immoral people. Behind the city of Corinth, high up on a 2,000-foot high mountain, was what was known as the Acrocorinth. Much like the Acropolis in Athens, on top of the Acrocorinth, uh, there stood the temple of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. 
And there were a thousand female servants that served the temple of Aphrodite. And every night they would roam down into the streets as prostitutes. And the work of the prostitutes was part of their service uh, in the temple. And so sexual immorality and sexual promiscuity was rife across the city of Corinth. So much so that the word Corinthian was a byword for the sexually immoral in those days. Oh, he's a Corinthian, people would say, if a person was sexually immoral. Uh, And so the immorality of the city presented a great challenge uh, for the preacher of the gospel because the gospel obviously calls people to repentance and holiness. And the gospel warns that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, And so get the picture here. The apostle Paul, he arrives in Corinth having had a seriously hard uh, time in the previous cities where he'd been beaten, threatened, imprisoned, uh, chased out of cities. He'd had a difficult time in the city of Athens contending with the philosophers uh, with limited success. And now he's facing Corinth, the formidable Corinth, perhaps one of the most intimidating cities in all of the Roman Empire, proud and immoral and idolatrous Corinth. Plus, on top of all that, when Paul arrived in Corinth, he was on his own. And loneliness, as you will well know, always makes difficult times harder. Uh, And he was quite possibly physically struggling as well from the severe beatings that he had previously taken. And so all of this left Paul, by his own admission, feeling weak uh, and weary and fearful uh, and in distress. Can anyone relate to Paul in any way here this morning? You know, sometimes we go through circumstances in life that can leave us severely discouraged, feeling weak, fearful, and in distress. And if that's you this morning, I pray that as we look at how the Lord encouraged Paul in our passage this morning, that the Lord uh, will equally encourage you in the life that he has called you to live. Uh, And so let us read from Acts chapter 18. Uh, This is verse 1, down to verse 17 uh, initially. So Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Now when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. (coughs) Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. 
And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And while Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to judge, be a judge of such matters. And so he drove them from the judgment seat. And then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. And so Paul remained there a good while. Father, we ask your blessing just upon our time now as we have your word open before us. Uh, by your spirit, would you grant us understanding? Uh, Lord, by your spirit, would you encourage and strengthen uh, each one of us? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, there's an important foundational truth that we all need to know when it comes to the matter of encouragement and discouragement. And it is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And that is that God is the God of all comfort. God is the God of all encouragement. He comforts and encourages those who are in need. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God is the God of all comfort. And the comfort with which God comforts us then uniquely enables us to minister to and comfort others who are going through the same thing. That's the truth that Charles Spurgeon understood and spoke of. And so here in our passage today, the Apostle Paul is greatly discouraged. He is weak. He is in distress. He is fearful. And God knew that Paul needed to be encouraged and he knew how to do it. Uh, and in our text, we see two ways in which God encouraged Paul. Uh, two means that God has ordained to encourage all of his people. Firstly, God has ordained to encourage us through his people. Through his people. And secondly, God has ordained to encourage us through his word. His people and his word. Now let's look at that first one, beginning in verse 2. God encourages his people through his people. Take a look at verse 2. And he, that is Paul, found a certain Jew named Aquila, who was born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. Now, as we already mentioned, one of the things that can make already difficult times even harder and even more discouraging is having to face those difficult times on your own. Having to do it alone. 
And Paul had come to Corinth alone. Timothy and Silas were still in Macedonia. He'd been alone in Athens. And now he comes alone to Corinth. And Paul was in desperate need of encouragement. He needed a friend. He needed a friend to encourage him, to help him. And God knew that he needed a friend. He needed fellowship. He needed help. He needed support. And so what happened? Well, according to verse 2, as Paul was looking for a job, he came across a man named Aquila and his wife, Priscilla. Now, Paul was a tent maker, we are told in verse 3. More literally, uh, a leather maker. Uh, He no doubt made tents, which were very popular. A lot of people traveled and needed tents to help them on their journeys, but it's quite possible he made other things as well, curtains, rugs, clothes, and the like. But it was common practice for Jewish boys, uh, including the boys of rabbis, to learn the trade of their father. And no doubt Paul had learned uh, to make tents uh, from his father. And so when Paul arrived in Corinth, he needed food, he needed uh, shelter, he had no money, and there was no church there to support him. So the first thing that he did was look for work. Uh, And he would often do this, um, not always, uh, but often, uh, partly sometimes even when there was a church. Paul worked to support himself, so as not to be a burden on the church. Didn't always do that, but he did on occasion. Uh, And uh, also, uh, he worked to avoid false accusations of ulterior motives. He didn't want people to think that he was uh, in it for the money. So there were circumstances in which he decided to provide for himself to avoid false accusations. Uh, And so Paul was a tent maker, and sometimes we use that term tent maker in our sort of Christian uh, language to refer to somebody who's uh, maybe called to to, to gospel ministry but works on the side to provide to support their needs and their family. We often refer to them as tent makers. Their their, their jobs are sort of their tent making. I mean, they're not literally making tents, uh, but that comes from uh, the work of the Apostle Paul here. Uh, And so Paul went looking for a tent maker, for whom he could work. And according to verse 2, he found a certain Jew named Aquila who was born in Pontus. Pontus uh, was in northern Asia Minor, the north of modern-day Turkey. Uh, And we're told in verse 2, he had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. Uh, And so Paul came to them, and in verse 3, we're told that he stayed with Priscilla and Aquila and he worked with Priscilla and Aquila. And so discouraged Paul goes looking for a job, and the local tent-making business in Corinth was run by this husband and wife team of Priscilla and uh, Aquila. Now, uh, we're not told a great deal about Priscilla and Aquila, and we don't know much about their background other than what it says here. We know that they had been living in Italy, uh, in Rome, but Claudius, uh, that is Claudius Caesar, the Roman emperor, in 49 AD, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so they left Rome and they brought their business to the city of Corinth, which made a lot of sense. Corinth being the commercial capital of the empire, if you wanted to run a business and make money, where else would you go? You'd go to Corinth. So they went to Corinth. Now, a couple of interesting points here. Uh, Number one is the reason that Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. Uh, Because there's a Roman historian by the name of Suetonius who wrote a book on the life of Claudius, the Roman Empire. And in his book, he said this. 
He said, as the Jews were indulging in constant riots at the instigation of Crestus, Claudius banished them from Rome. So according to the Roman historian, the reason Claudius banished the Jews from Rome was because they were indulging in constant riots at the instigation of Crestus. Now, many have assumed that by Crestus, uh, Suetonius really meant Christ. He was writing 70 years after the time, and there are those that assume uh, that he wrongly assumed that this Christ guy was a guy who was there in Rome who was instigating riots. Um, And so many conclude that, in fact, it was the preaching of Christ in Rome that got the Jews all mad, uh, got them started rioting, and then Claudius kicked them out of Rome. Now, that would actually be consistent with what we read in the rest of the Old Testament because that happened everywhere Paul went. I don't know that for sure, but that's likely. And that's also consistent with the fact that it appears that Priscilla and Aquila are already believers when Paul meets them in Corinth. Now, we know that there was a church established in Rome because Paul wrote a letter to the church, the letter to the Romans. Uh, And Priscilla and Aquila had come from Rome. And so it was likely, it seems likely that, um, well, the gospel certainly did travel beyond Paul to Rome before Paul ever went to Rome. Uh, And it may well be that the preachers of the gospel in Rome um, saw Priscilla and Aquila come to faith in Christ at that time. And the preaching of the gospel caused riots uh, among the Jews. And Claudius got so mad he kicked all the Jews out of Uh, Rome. And so a little bit of uh, reading between the lines there, but that's likely, seems to me at least, um, how this all came about. And so, but but notice how the Lord is working all this together. Paul arrives discouraged and alone in Corinth. He's in desperate need of a friend. He's in desperate need of fellowship. But he's going to a city in which the gospel hasn't gone before. So where's he going to find encouragement and friendship? Well, there were two guys that got saved in Rome who God sort of sovereignly oversaw, come to Corinth, and there they are. And lo and behold, they're tent makers as well. So when Paul went to find a job, they found the tent makers, and guess what? They were already believers. And so, the Lord provided companions for Paul in Priscilla and Aquila, and they would go on to become two of Paul's closest friends. In Romans 16, verses 3 and 4, uh, Paul tells the church in Rome to greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who, he says, risked their own necks for my life. They risked their lives for Paul. Uh, And so Paul later developed a a really close, meaningful friendship with Priscilla uh, and Aquila. Uh, And so God provided his people to encourage Paul in the form of Priscilla and Aquila, but the Lord wasn't done because look at verse 4. Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And so Paul started work in the tent-making business with Priscilla and Aquila. I didn't mean he neglected his ministry of the gospel. Every Sabbath, every Saturday, he was preaching the gospel in the synagogues. But then, according to verse 5, His former companions, Silas and Timothy, arrived from Macedonia. And so not only did God provide two new companions for Paul in Priscilla and Aquila, but then he brought back two of his old companions in Paul, uh, in Silas and Timothy. And the result, according to verse 5, was that Paul was greatly encouraged and renewed in spirit and and recommitted himself fully uh, to the ministry of the gospel. And that seems to be the idea of 
verse 5. Uh, and so what do we all take um, from this? Well, I think we take this lesson, that we cannot underestimate the importance of fellowship in the Christian life. There's a reason we're told in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but we are to exhort one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. You see, the Christian life is not intended to be lived in isolation. It's intended to be lived in fellowship with one another. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, is we need one another as believers in Jesus Christ. We need to help one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to pray for one another, especially in times when we are weak uh, and discouraged and in distress and fearful. Uh, and if we are to do that, that means we all need to be open and willing to both giving and receiving encouragement to and from one another. Uh, and one issue that I've discovered that hinders this ministry of encouragement uh, is pride in our hearts. You know, we want everybody to think that we've got this Christian thing all down. We've got life all down. We don't have any problems or struggles. Uh, and so we don't share our difficulties, our struggles with people. Maybe we're embarrassed to. Maybe we're ashamed to. But God has ordained to use his people as his means of encouraging you. And so if you never open yourself up and allow somebody else to be encouraged, you cannot receive that encouragement from the Lord. And James and Peter both said that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so you know that embarrassment or that shame that you may feel? You know what that is? Humility. It's humility. And you know what makes you think, okay, well, I can't tell anybody about this? Pride. Humility is a good thing. It is the gateway to the grace of God. And if we would humble ourselves, God will use others to encourage us and to strengthen us. And as a means to bestow his grace upon us. So as God's people, we need to be encouragers of God's people. I need you, you need me. We all need each other. So be a giver of encouragement, but be a receiver of encouragement as well. For we all need each other. And look what happens next then. In verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews uh, that Jesus is the Christ. But what happened? They opposed him and blasphemed. They opposed him and blasphemed. And so Paul, uh, Silas and Timothy had come back uh, from Macedonia. We know actually from 2 Corinthians 11 and Philippians 4 that when they came back from Macedonia, they brought financial gifts to support uh, the ministry of Paul from the churches in Macedonia. And those gifts uh, encouraged Paul and enabled him uh, to devote himself full time uh, to the ministry. Uh, and so Paul then went out and he preached the gospel with even more fervency to all 
uh, the Jewish community that was there. Uh, and there was a typical response because firstly, some of them rejected the gospel. They opposed him and they blasphemed. Literally, they arranged themselves in battle against him. That's the word literally means and blasphemed the name of Christ. And it was that blaspheming of the name of Christ that no doubt really got to Paul. So what did Paul say? And what did he do? Well, in verse 6, he shook his garments, which was sort of like a typical Jewish gesture of rejection. Uh, And then he said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. In other words, he says, I have done all that I can. I have done what God has called me to do. I have preached Jesus to you, Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as your Savior. And I have urged you to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But you have rejected and blasphemed Christ. I have done my part. I have done that all that I can do. And if you reject the message of the gospel, that is on you. That is your responsibility. And so that's serious stuff. But the same is true for all of us. The same is true for everyone in this world. As believers, we are called to go and preach the gospel. We're called to tell people about Jesus. We're not called to save people. We cannot do that. We cannot save people. Paul would later tell the church in Corinth, wouldn't he, uh, that uh, uh, I sowed Apollos water, but it's God who gives the increase. It's only God who can save. But as the gospel goes forth, every person who hears the gospel is responsible before God to respond to the gospel. I can't make you believe. I can urge you. I can plead with you. I can beg you. But I can't make you. You have to do that for yourself. And so every person has that responsibility individually before God to respond to the gospel with faith uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, and these, uh, this Jewish community didn't do that. And so they rejected Paul. But, but notice then what happens in verse 7. Because although some rejected, Paul departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice. He was one who worshipped God. Justice is a Roman name, so presumably he was a a God-fearing Gentile who worshipped the God of Israel. His house was next door to the synagogue. Presumably Paul preached there because Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, he believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing the gospel, believed the gospel And were baptized. And so amazing work of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul there in Corinth. Even the leader of the synagogue believed in Jesus. The rest of them sort of rejected, but the leader believed. Uh, And then Paul went out uh, to the Gentiles and many of the Corinthians uh, believed in Jesus. And you'd think that seeing that happen would have been a great encouragement and blessing to Paul. And I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Look what the Lord is doing, Paul. People are getting saved. People are believing in Christ and they're being baptized. But Paul was still struggling. He was still feeling weak. 
he was still feeling fearful. Yes, he'd had the support of his friends and that had been a blessing and an encouragement and it had spurred him on to preach the gospel with greater fervency and people had been saved and that had been wonderful. But he was still weary and we know that because in verse 9, the Lord spoke to him. The Lord spoke to him. And because we're out of time, we'll have to pick it up there next week. Come back next week for part two. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you that you are the God of all comfort. And Father, as we have seen in our passage this morning, the importance of encouraging one another in the body of Christ. Father, I pray that you would use each and every one of us to be encouragers of each other. And Father, if there is anybody here this morning who is feeling discouraged, maybe very discouraged, the circumstances of life have just got seemingly too much to bear. Maybe nobody knows because they haven't told anybody. Father, we ask you as the God of all comfort to comfort them in their distress. Father, would you strengthen them by your spirit? And Father, would you bring someone alongside them to encourage them, just as you did with Paul in bringing Priscilla and Aquila and Silas and Timothy. And Father, if that requires humility in order to share with somebody the struggles, Father, I just pray that you would grant that humility. Father, we all need your grace. We all need encouraging. We all have ups and downs, challenges, difficult times in life. And we thank you that you have brought us into a church fellowship where we can find that encouragement and that help and that support that we all so desperately need. And so use us, we pray, to be blessings to one another. Strengthen us and empower us by your spirit to accomplish that work, we pray as we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.